0: little impulsive, well then I reserve the right to get whatever I want from Taco Bell on the way home. <laughs> Hope I didn't step on any toes there. Hope nobody's already checked out. I bad mouth Taco Bell. I'm leaving. <laughs> or I, I, I'm going to eat healthy unless I'm stressed, you know. If, I, if I'm feeling like the burdens of life, I cannot possibly go for a salad while I'm dealing with this other thing that's unrelated to my dietary choice. There's so many conditions that we go through in our daily life that Change the way we would act. Keep us from doing the things that we should do under a different set of circumstances. And that is condition. A condition. You know, the definition of condition or an unconditional thing. An unconditional thing is not dependent on any set of terms or circumstances. And it's not dependent upon the occurrence of another event or existence of another thing. If I were to say, if this happens, well, then, then I'll do this or that. It doesn't depend on those things. In the realm of mathematics, we look at conditions as a very objective thing. Some of my engineering friends or some people who had to go through algebra and relive their nightmare might do so with me now this afternoon. Mathematics, if I say that X plus 2 is greater than 3... If it's already causing a mental flashback of pain, just, just check out. It's okay. But if I say X plus 2 is greater than 3, then X has to be at least 2 or greater. Assuming we're dealing with whole numbers here. It's got to be at least 2 or greater. It cannot be less than 2. It cannot be 1 or less. There are a set of conditions that make that statement true. And there are conditions which make it false. And we look at that very objectively and say, well, that's just mathematics. That's a law. There are unconditional laws that govern our lives, and sometimes we look at them objectively, like in mathematics. But other times we can see them done in practice. We can look at uh, conditions which are accepted. Sometimes the conditions of our life change by the day, they'll change by the season, or by the year, and we'll always act accordingly. In the summer, conditions are warm, and we expect them to be warm, and so we dress accordingly now, when we're in this middle season here of March, you really can't bank on anything, can you? Last week it was 70 degrees and now we're getting random snow. So don't don't believe on any set of conditions here because the weather's not going to follow them. But when it comes July, I'm not going to come out in a winter coat because it wouldn't fit the conditions. And sometimes if you go along the Gulf of Mexico, I know Jeff and Diane often go down to take their pilgrimage to the Keys... What you might see about some of the houses down there, is especially the ones built on the water, is they're built up. They're built on stilts. And that's because even though the builders, while they're building that house, it may not be flooding, they anticipate that being in such a place, the conditions may occur that would cause flooding. And in that case, it wouldn't be wise to have a house that is water level. They build it up on stilts so that if the conditions are unfavorable, the house will still stand. The way we spend our money is based on the condition of our finances. Or at least it should be based on that condition. So when we budget, we examine the condition of our existing funds. We examine the condition of our income. We plan accordingly so that we will have enough for ourselves. Conditions are everywhere. They're part of life. And yet there are some things in our lives which should be unconditional. Paul talks about the difference, perhaps... In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, when he talks about the difference between temporal and eternal, the things which are seen and the things which are not seen, the things which I've talked about so far are dealing with temporary things. Money is a temporary thing. Your house is a temporary thing. Your appetite is even a temporary thing. But the condition of the soul is not a temporary thing. And so we cannot allow our soul to be governed by temporary things. It will last eternally. And so we must treat it like it will be lasted eternally. Our faith should be something that does not change, that is not subject to certain conditions. Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 1, in one of my favorite favorite passages, or at least one of my most referred to passages, 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 7, he talks about the proof of our faith. He says, In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, You have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold which perishes, though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, if you were to look at that gold bar there and assume that without those stamps, which represent somebody having tested that gold bar and proven it already... Assume that you're just looking at that piece of metal and someone says, that's pure gold. Well, just looking at the metal itself, there's no way that you can confirm it. You just have to take them at their word. And maybe they're telling the truth and maybe they're not telling the truth. Maybe it does have some gold, but they filled in some copper. Or maybe they've thrown in some zinc or aluminum. Something that you might not be able to tell just by looking at it, but devalues the gold. And maybe they're trying to take advantage of you. Now, the only way to really tell, and I get that there are other ways to tell what the substance of a metal is, but one surefire way to tell what is in a metal, such as that bar right there, is to heat it up. Because with those different metals that I've mentioned, copper, aluminum, zinc, iron, whatever it may be, chemically, they all have different properties. They have different melting points, different boiling points, And so if you heat this gold bar up slowly enough to hit each of those individual points of melting, well, then you can separate it out. Take, for example, let's just say 100 degrees. Let's say the iron melts at 100 degrees. I know that's not true. So for somebody who knows the opposite, this isn't what that's about, Nolan. (laughs) But let's say it's 100 because it's an arbitrary number. Iron melts at 100, but gold melts at 200. Well, if you heat it up to 100 degrees, the iron will melt out, but the gold will stay. But if you don't heat it up, there's no possible way for you to know that. And that's what I think he's saying here is when he says the proof of your faith, which is tested by fire. The only way to really know what the content of our faith is. Are we going to be 100% faithful? I might say, yeah, I'm 100% faithful. But without having tested my faith, that statement means nothing. And really, we need to look at our lives here on earth as just that, a furnace, a testing ground by which our faith is either proven or disproven. It's an opportunity for us to show what we're made of. And uh, hopefully we pass that test. But he talks about the proof of our faith, and it's tested by fire. And hopefully we come on the other side of that test. And I'd like to look at two, two cases, two of my favorite stories Tonight, in which people's faith was tested. And by looking at their uh, words and by looking at their actions, we can see if they passed the test. And also some of the implications of their uh, either success or failure. One of my favorite stories is of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And I remember it being one of my favorite stories as a kid. Uh, I thought back recently while, while preparing for this, there was an event in my elementary school called Donuts with Dads. And it was a good time because I love donuts too. And have donuts with dad. And it didn't have to be just your dad. It could be your uncle or your grandfather or, you know, father figure, stepfather, you know, whatever it may be. But you would have the gym. They opened up the gymnasium from like 9 to 10 in the morning and you could just come down there and they'd had a giant table full of donuts and a table full of orange juice and a table full of coffee and you can tell which table the kids went for and which table the dads went for most of the time. But I remember we, we, got, we got there and Grandpa came too and, and Dad came too. And uh, I uh, told them to, to read this story. And I, I guess I must have told them ahead of time because I'm not sure they would have just had their Bible handy in their back pocket. I'm not sure if it was the time of year, a time of uh, season of life when phones would have contained every single passage of biblical scripture. Didn't have that luxury then, but I remember we sat down and we ate a donut and we read this story and it's such a good story, one that we should aspire to and learn the lesson from and there's just so much good about it. But the background of the story, we won't read the whole thing, but there are these, these four Hebrew boys, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they are taken into exile, into the land of Babylon, who has conquered the nation of Judah, taken away all of the best of the land for itself. And these men have found themselves in a difficult situation, and already to this point they've proven their worth, and they've proven their character a little bit, and that they would not eat of the king's rations. Instead, they knew it was against the law of God, and so they followed God's law and said, we'll eat these foods. And then uh, through their dietary choices, they were tested and they came out, Being proven correct. Well, Nebuchadnezzar has taken some appreciation for these young boys. And uh, not all of his counselors appreciate it. And so they are going to uh, compel Nebuchadnezzar to make a law that might trap these boys. And he does. He builds up this statue. And he says, this is the God of Babylon. These are our gods. And everybody, as soon as you hear this crazy music, all these random instruments blow blow and chime and hit these gongs, then everybody stop what you're doing and bow down. Worship this God. But obviously these boys can't do it. And they don't do it. And they get pinned. They get told on. Somebody comes and tells Nebuchadnezzar that they're not bowing down. And Nebuchadnezzar can't believe it. He he says, well, surely there's some kind of mistake. Whereas somebody else may have been thrown straight into the fire... He gives them a chance and says, let me, let me just reiterate the command because maybe you didn't hear it. But if it's convenient for you, whenever you hear this music, go ahead and bow down. And we'll just forget this whole misunderstanding ever happened. But they cannot do that. They can't do that because they worship the one and true and living God who has said, you shall have no other gods before me that you shall not bow down to any graven image. So why would they? Why would they bow down to a statue made with hands when they exist under the umbrella and shelter and protection of the true living God, Jehovah? And it says here in this passage that Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego replied to the king. They said, Nebuchadnezzar, we are not in need. We do not need to give you an answer regarding this matter. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to rescue us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, even if he does not rescue us, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship this statue that you have set up. They're speaking to the king who has conquered their nation. Nebuchadnezzar came to Jerusalem, physically witnessed its conquering. He took the king, Zedekiah, bound him in bronze fetters, killed his sons before his very eyes, and then gouged his eyes out and carried him back into captivity. This is not just a kind uncle, Nebuchadnezzar. This is a king whom history will remember as Nebuchadnezzar the Great. An epitaph to whom very few have been inscribed. And so they speak to him and the courage and the gall to say, we do not need to answer you. That must have been a phrase which was uttered by men who understand the physical, physical nature and the temporary nature of mortal life and the spiritual and eternal nature of almighty God. And they said that there is no condition, (laughs) even if you ask nicely and say, pretty please one more time. Or even if you threaten to throw us into the fire, there is no condition under which we can be compelled to bow down to this false god. And Nebuchadnezzar, they, would have, they could have had an opportunity to even change their mind. Because Nebuchadnezzar at that point said, tie them up. And maybe they were bluffing. Maybe they were thinking, he's not going to call, it. he likes us, he's not going to call us out on this. But as soon as he gave the order, all right, tie him up, they could have been like, whoa, 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 hold on. Actually, you know what? We talked about this. We had a, a brief powwow, if you will. We changed our mind. We do want to bow down. This was a, 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 bear, a language barrier between us. No, that wasn't the case. And even when Nebuchadnezzar said, heat up the fire seven times hotter than normal, they did not change their mind. Because there was no condition under which they could be compelled to change their mind. And thinking about how we apply this today, you know, I think sometimes, sometimes it's challenging. We, we see an instance like this, a climactic moment where it's either confess God or die. And we think if I were put in that situation, maybe I would be able to have, have the courage. You know, if, if I were going to just die, then or there, if they were to, to cut my head off and, and end my life immediately, well, then I could go through it. Because it's it's a brave, climactic moment. You know, I can give everything when it means so much just like that. But maybe we're spoiled. And maybe the devil is treating us differently in this day and age. Because it doesn't seem like we have that that kind of moment. I think we should be thankful. I think we should be thankful that we don't have to deal with persecution like that. But we should also be wise. And understand that just because that's not happening doesn't mean the devil's not tempting us. Instead of tempting us with those moments where life or death are our options, the devil likes to blur the lines of black and white and say, you know, I'm I'm not going to push you that far. I don't want you to give up everything. I'm not going to ask you to bow down to a statue. I'm not going to ask you to go a mile. I'm just going to ask you, is going an inch wrong? You know, Let's, let's not go crazy here. Let's just nudge. I mean, this, this isn't a big deal. Let's, and that's not a big deal. And this isn't a big deal. And this isn't a big deal. And with each little inch, it becomes harder for us to draw a line and say, this is the line I will not pass. You might say, you might say, well, I, I'm not going to stand on the edge of a cliff. But, you know, I'm, I'm just going to inch a little bit closer to it eventually you inch closer and closer to the edge of the cliff and you're just in as much danger as if you had stood by the edge of it from the very beginning. I think the devil tempts us not with these landmark moments, but he tests us gradually, slowly. And it may seem more reasonable to us at that point. Well, I wouldn't do something bizarre, but this little thing I might do. That's just how the devil, I think, tempts us right now. And it may change But either way, the thing that cannot change is our faith. The thing that cannot change is our commitment and our wisdom... ...and our ability to really take ourselves back from the situation and say, okay, what's happening here? And remember that, again, this whole earth is a proving ground. It is a crucible through which our life is heated up. Through which the circumstances of our existence are made difficult to test what is in our heart, whether we will follow him or not, as it is said in the book of Deuteronomy. But these men pass the test. And as they're thrown into the fire, I love the description of what happens next. When the men who are even carrying them down to the furnace are killed because of how hot the fire is. But these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, are thrown into the fire and they stand up alive in the fire and they walk around in the midst of the fire and everyone sees it and they're so bewildered by what they see. But they see something they did not expect to see. Nebuchadnezzar says, were there not three men that we threw into the fire and yet I see four and the fourth has an appearance like the son of the gods. What a wonderful lesson for us to take from there when that we are when we are going through this testing what peter refers to in 1st peter chapter 4 is the fiery ordeal which is among you which has come upon you for your testing that just as he was for these 3 hebrew boys jesus is there with us in our testing the son of god our high priest jesus is with us in our fiery trial The next final passage to look at and final story to look at is about Peter. We both, we all know that Peter was very zealous. Peter was a man of commitment. He was a man of action, man of boldness. But he says something, not just to Peter, but to all of his apostles before he's about to be betrayed. He says in Mark chapter 14, verse 27... He says, you will all fall away. You will all fall away because it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. But Peter said to him, even if they all fall away, I will not fall away. And Jesus said to him, truly, I say to you, this very night before a rooster crows twice, you yourself will deny me three times. But Peter repeatedly and insistently said, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And they all were saying the same thing as well. Sometimes I look at life in kind of a a comical way. Knowing that this is a testing ground, I I almost picture a, a different kind of reality in which... In which God is testing me, or God is allowing me to be to be tempted, to prove what's in my heart. And I, I imagine me passing the test, and i I doing everything, and God pulls back the curtain and says, Alright, we're done here, we're good, go ahead, take this guy up, we're good to go. Kind of like he did with Enoch. Like, alright, I've seen enough, you're good to go, let's, let's just take him up. No, no reason for us to continue this exercise, this testing ground. Don't need to heat up this anymore, like we've already proven his faith is 100%, we're good to go. End it, boom, done. And I think that Peter really wishes that it could have been like that. Where Jesus says, you're all going to betray me. And Peter's like, oh, here's the moment. Like, I'm not going to betray you. I'll, I'll even die for you, Jesus. Oh, lift the curtain. Peter, you did such a good job. Shake your hand. Your faith's incredible. But it's not that simple. Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, had this, they said the same thing. We will not bow down even if you heat up the furnace, even if you tie us up. There's no set of circumstances by which our faith will be changed. Even they had to prove it. And they were proven. Their faith was proven. Well, Peter had the chance to prove his faith. And not even Peter. But he says, even if I have to die, I will not deny you. And they all were saying the same thing. All the, oh, are you going to deny? No, no, I'm not. Are you? No, no, no. We're Okay, yeah, we've all agreed. We're all going to stand firm together. Okay, it's settled. Jesus is wrong. We're not going to be scattered. We're all going to bind arm in arm here. And we're going to be just fine. But that's not what happened. That's not what happened. We know that they scattered. And we know what happened with Peter. Later on, it says, while Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the slave women of the high priest came. And seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You were with Jesus the Nazarene as well. But he denied it, saying, I I do not know or understand what you're talking about. And he went out onto the porch, and the slave woman saw him again and began once more to say to the bystanders, This man was one of them. But again, he denied it. And a little while, after a little while, the bystanders were again saying to Peter, No, no, you really are one of them. You're a Galilean, just as they are. But he began to curse himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately a rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had made the remark to him, Before a rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he hurried on and began to weep. Peter stated his unconditional faith. Even if I have to die. He said it. His faith was tested, because it always is tested. Our faith is always tested. But his unconditional faith in this moment was disproven. The test came back. You are not in possession of an unconditional faith. Hmm. But there's another part of this story that's important for us to remember, too. Because, as much as I want to be Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego every single day, why I admire them? Because I say, I want to be them in that moment, but I want to be them every day. As much as I want to be them every day, I know I'm not. I know I'm Peter. I know I claim to have a perfect faith, I want to have a perfect faith. I know what is right and I know what is wrong. Yet, wretched man that I am, I still sin, despite knowing better. Again, there's there's an important part of this story to remember. In Luke's account, in chapter 22, Jesus says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith will not fail. And you, when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Jesus' love for Peter was not conditional upon Peter's perfection. Jesus knew that Peter would fail. What was more important to him was what did he do next? I have to believe that Jesus would have forgiven Judas. I know Jesus would have forgiven Judas. But Judas did not turn back to Jesus. Judas ended his life. He could not deal with it. Overcome by his grief. Peter was overcome by grief as well. He wept bitterly. But Jesus knew what would happen ahead of time and said... When you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. There's a song that's sometimes sung, maybe... It's a newer song written by Stephen Rouse. Maybe you've heard it, maybe you've not heard it. called Rise Up Again. Though the righteous may fall, mighty God hears their call. And it talks about how when we fall, Lord, help us rise up again. And the thing that really sticks out to me here is that in the same breath that Jesus acknowledges Peter's failure, he also says, I have prayed for you. Jesus, our high priest, is not at all afraid or hesitant to carry Peter's name, the failure Peter, the denier Peter, in prayer to God. He's not afraid to carry your name in prayer to God. And he sees that value in you. Even if you have fallen. And he asks us in this story, by it being written and preserved for us to read here today. As he said to Peter, he says to us, When you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. I want to have an unconditional faith. I know I've not had a perfect faith in the past but I wish that I could just boom check mark here's a moment in time March 26th or 25th or whatever it is and say from this day on I'm not I'm not going to sin anymore and I hope that's true I, I do It's not just a hope. It's up to me. It's my choice. It's not like I'm subject that I have to sin. It's, It's my choice. And I hope that's true for you too. And I guess the words that I'm sharing with you are the same words that I would share to myself. If you're perfect from now until Jesus comes again, well done. But if you're not, if you do fail again, if your faith is imperfect, Strengthen yourself. Come back. Come back and strengthen your brothers. It's not about being perfect. It's about trusting in God who has lived a perfect life and who has paid the price for our sins. So that even despite our imperfections, appealing to God by the blood of his son, Jesus, we are granted access to heaven. And that's the final point that I'd like to make. Starting with that passage with which we began in 1 Peter chapter 1. We talked about the proof of our faith. The proof of our faith. And when we began that passage, he says, In this you greatly rejoice. Which means there's something. What is the this that he's referring to? Well, here's the this that he was referring to earlier. He says in verse 3 of 1 Peter 1. Blessed to be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has according to his great mercy caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled, and it will not fade away, reserved for you in heaven. You see, we want to have an unconditional faith should have an unconditional faith, which isn't dependent on circumstances or the temperature of our testing. But here's something else to look at and consider. Blessed thought that it is that the promises of God are unconditional. There's not a set of circumstances under which Jesus is going to say, "Ah, I changed my mind. He's not going to pull a Lucy and pull the football away from us right as we go up to kick the football. There's no condition under which the promises of God are not true. And it's been proven. It's been proven. The first promise that God made was in the garden, right after sin, when he spoke to the serpent and said, One will come, a daughter and a descendant of this woman, and he will crush the head of the serpent. That's the first promise that was made, and it was fulfilled. Jesus crushed the head of the serpent. A promise was made to Moses and the Israelites when God said, I will raise up a prophet from among you, from among your countrymen like you, and I will put my words in his mouth and you will listen to him. He made a promise and it came to pass. Jesus, God in the flesh, Emmanuel, God with us, came to earth. A prophet risen up from among the ranks of the Israelites and God put in his words, Jesus's mouth. God has made promises and they've all come true. They've been proven, just as a piece of gold might be proven over time with trial. No matter the circumstances, God's promises have held firm. And they're just as firm tonight. God has reserved a place for us in heaven He tells his apostles, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may also be. The apostles don't understand. They say, we don't know where you're going. How are we going to get there? And Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth and the life and the way. No one comes to the Father but by me. And it is free passage to the Father through Jesus. There's no price you have to pay. You don't have to have a certain amount of earthly value. You don't have to have lived a perfect life to this point in time. All you have to do is come to Jesus. He has done everything else. We who are in the pit of our sins find a hand reaching down to us, asking us, take my hand. And if we will just take his hand, we will find a way out Of that pit, and we will find salvation for our souls. Even Jesus' name means that very thing. Jesus, Yeshua, Joshua, the Lord is salvation. Salvation waits for you tonight. If you have not accepted Jesus, if you've not been baptized with him and united with Jesus' death, united with the blood which washes away every sin, you have the opportunity tonight to take the hand that is extended to you, offering you freely, unconditionally, salvation. And if you have accepted Christ, and yet you have fallen away, like Peter, where at the moment of your baptism you said, I'm going to follow Jesus from now on, but you have fallen away. And you've denied Jesus by the way you've walked. Jesus... Just like he saw value in Peter, knowing his sin and his failure, sees value in you tonight and wants you tonight, no matter what, unconditionally. Will you take the hand of Jesus again and walk with him? If there's any need of any person here tonight, if we can help you in your walk in any way, or help you begin your walk, please make your needs known as we stand and sing our invitation song.